Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast for the technician that wants to get real. Follow along as we talk to industry professionals and address hot topics that we all face. Along the way, we'll learn tips and tricks. I'm your host, Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast, episode 86. Today, we're talking to Burke Anders, equipment manager at Columbia Country Club in Blythewood, South Carolina. Columbia Country Club is a private 27-hole facility, and Burke is the lone technician in the shop. Let's talk to Burke. Welcome, Burke, to the Real Turf Techs Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Trent. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Tell us how you got into the turf industry. Oh, man. Boring story. I uh, was a suit and tie briefcase kind of guy forever, uh, up until about time I was 30. And uh, the economy kind of crashed up in northern Virginia. And so I tried to get my new wife and kids back down to the Carolinas, which is kind of where I'm from. And uh, I knew that I didn't want to work in an office again. So before we, uh, when we had our last child, I decided to change career fields. I started working on heavy equipment, tractors, trailers, stuff like that for about a year before we moved. And she had a masonry contracting family business. Uh, so we ended up shutting that down, packing up everything. And she had a job down in North Carolina. And uh, the only person I knew down in eastern North Carolina, the Wilmington area, which is where we ended up moving, was I had a sister there. And she was sending me newspapers. This is pre-internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was getting on about a week late and I had an advertisement in there. I saw for a golf course mechanic, not a clue, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. It's a very hidden industry. Oh yeah. Uh, I had, I had golfed before, but I'd never even seen a maintenance building, much less the equipment and the infrastructure involved in keeping a property like that up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I answered a page basically it was all we had back then. And so I was on my commute into Washington, D.C. And uh, I pulled off side road, got on the pipeline, and I called Terry Warlick down at Old Point in Hampstead, North Carolina. And I said, listen, I said, I, I just got your, your, your beep, so to speak. Uh, my wife already has a job down there. I'm moving down there in a month or so looking for work. Uh, have you found anybody to explain to him? I'm getting a paper a week late. And he said, well, I've talked to a couple of people, but, uh, I'm willing to talk to more. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, he said, can you, where are you? And I told him I was in Northern Virginia and he said, well, can you come Saturday? And I said, yep. So I basically just, I said, I can't come before Saturday. This is like a Wednesday or Thursday. I said, I just had the heads off of a van. And I think the guy that took it apart ought to put it back together. So let me finish that job up and I'll get there on Saturday. So I drove down Saturday. I spent uh, maybe three hours with him. I walked through the garage and I see this board up there with all the employees' names. And then I look into this huge garage full of equipment. And he had a backhoe in there and some other things I was familiar with. But I didn't know what any of these mowers were. Mm-hmm. You know? And after a little bit of talking with him he says so you think you can fix about anything in here and i said yeah. he said i'll teach you the only thing that's unique to golf courses which is the reels mm-hmm. so i said well well i can do that you want to show me how to do it that's fine they hired me on the spot i had scheduled a vacation and needed to move down 
said, my first mm-hmm. week will be X week. I forget what it was, somewhere around 1st of November. And he said, well, he said, I'm leaving the day after you're going to start on his vacation. So I showed up, met with him, gave me the keys to the shop, and he's gone for a week. Wow. Okay. First thing I do, because I look at this backhoe and the guy's out there trying to move it around, but he's trying to crank it and it keeps chirping the starter on the flywheel. I don't know if you know this, but most engines stop in the same little clock position 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Just from the compression in the engine. When you shut them off, they stop there. Right. And I said, I think needs rain gear. So I went and got me a rain gear that week, separated his backhoe in his golf course garage. And uh I had ring gear in, had the flywheel on the concrete, I had a torch in there, I was getting ready to heat it up. And the day I said, Well, I'll go tomorrow morning. Well, he beats me to work that next morning. And he sees his backhoe split apart. And he's like, What in the world? He had no idea. Imagine that a, a golf course mechanic would do work like that. Right. He, he, he just about lost his mind. He took my back hole apart, you know? <laughs> so I got that all back together. And uh, he was a gentle, he's a huge guy, but just a gentle bend of a guy. Turned out to be a really good friend. And uh, he said, look, he said, I'll let you spend all the time in the world you want learning this stuff. He showed me what he could about the reels. He, he pointed in the corner over there and said, there's this little single blade grinder in there. I didn't know what real grinding was at that point. And he said, don't worry. He said, these are our distributors. And he, he showed me this right up on the board of the distributor names and supplier names. And at that time, he had like seven hardware guys show up every month, five or six oh, chemical yeah. guys show up every month. And he said, look, he said, these are your distributors. I didn't know what a distributor was. Mm-hmm. He said, you have any questions or problems, you call these guys. And at the time, they had a picture on the board, on a cork board, and it had a picture of Robert Short. Now, Robert Short was one of the guys at STI, Smith Turf and Irrigation in Charlotte, that taught me most of what I know about reels once I got into their schooling. And uh, it was asked Robert. And it used to be asked George. I don't know if you ever met George Dias, but George Dias was his predecessor. So at any rate, the reason I gravitated towards Toro was because they were the only ones that had a free help line. So I could call and say, look, you know, I've got this kind of issue going on and they could walk me through in their head. You need to go to this full valve, remove this cap, sit, get this center and screw set back, you know, and I'm like, holy cow. You know, so mm-hmm. when it came time to get some formal training in turf equipment, that's where he sent me. So he sent me to Smith Turf and Irrigation in Charlotte, and I started going to some of the Kohler update classes, Riggs and Stratton classes on generators, all sorts of weird stuff. Anything I could get. And when I say anything I could get, there was nothing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I so mean, what, back up just a little bit, what year was this? I don't want to tell you. Okay. By the, right. by the time this interview's finished, you're going to have a real good idea. Okay. All right. Um, that's fine. Yeah. Let's just play that game. All right. I can tell you that it was pre-internet. I can tell you that our our greens were being cut, cutting edge now, 316. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most people were pulling, right. pulling, fairway, pulling gang units down their fairways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no self-contained fairway units. Other than maybe a park master, if you want to call that a fairway unit. Right. Some ancient stuff. Mm-hmm. We were using 1970s trap rakes. 
Yep. And old GM threes with the cable steering. Okay. And I have big, big wide steering wheels. So that's the equipment I cut my teeth on. Okay. And, uh, so I go to the very first class at Snow Turf and Irrigation and it is a Foley representative doing a demonstration with Steve Hamilton. That's a different Steve Hamilton from his Zooms club down at Murder Beach. Okay. Yep. Uh, Steve Hamilton is superintendent. This is Steve Hamilton in Charlotte. I've known both those guys for ever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're showing me and demonstrating this big 650 fully enclosed, fully automated grinder. Mm-hmm. And he says, what kind of grinders do you have in your shop? I'm like, I don't know. And he dusted it off. I have no idea. You know, what a waste of time. It was great to see the technology and everything that was there. But there was nothing they could possibly teach me about grinding. He was teaching you how to use his machine. Right, right. And that was the only kind of things we had access to. It was very difficult. So another little quirk about the time. Had about four, maybe five different sets of bearings up on the wall, not even in back. I had set four, set 14, set sixes, set 16s, and there was another set. And they're just sitting there on hooks on a pegboard. Okay. And they fit everything. <laughs> they would fit every reel. They fit rollers. Yeah. Everything. This is a time when everybody just single blade grinded, if you had a grinder. Mm-hmm. And you would lap in your surface edge. And I remember a superintendent from a neighboring golf course came over uh, right shortly after I started. And he starts on the weekend and starts taking apart the gang unit. Evidently, every winter, that was a routine. Because to grind a reel at that time, you had to take the reel out of front. Oh, okay. And, and so... You had I've to put heard... the reel in the points to center it. And then you centered it edge to edge with threaded rod and nuts. Okay. <laughs> that was how you got it close. And well, you I've did it one blade at a time. I've heard everybody talk about, yeah, the single blade reel grinder, but so that just ground a relief and then yep. you lap. You do a hundred percent relief and then you okay. lap in your eggs, right? Gotcha. And you hook it up to a lapping machine and you would lap in your eggs. Mm-hmm. And when you send it out, 12 foot rooster tail. I mean, it's just beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. After they drug it with in. the reels engaged through a gravel parking lot. Of right, right. But those were times when the, uh, the metallurgy, so to speak, the bearing and race would take a set. So when you had to pull them down, you had to keep them together. This bearing ran in this race. This bearing ran in this race. I could went in there and he's got all the bearings on one piece of plywood, all the races on another. He's got them all everywhere. And I just about lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, good luck being dependable. We're going to put it back together best we can. So that was my first set of reels and the first type of reels that are ever ground there were no spin grinders keep in mind that i'm in a small little hamlet of Hampstead, north carolina that has three golf courses all from the 70s i think maybe mm-hmm. and one of them doesn't even have a mechanic the other one had a mechanic that was uh he just got out of the marine corps i don't know really what his background was wasn't really quote a professional mechanic I was the only guy that I knew that really had any mechanical background doing what I was doing. And so I tried to get to know others close by. And so I mm-hmm. got to know Gene Collins, Gene Collins down in Wilmington, uh, at Cape Fear and a few others down in Wilmington area. And we got kind of a relationship going between the golf course checks where, you know, look, I need a rear roller for a 3,100. 
I'll order one. Can I have one for this mm -hmm. weekend? He would grab one off the shelf, give it to me. And I just, when I got it in, I'd return it. The GMs didn't like that. The superintendents didn't like that, but we were going to do what we had to do. Yeah. To get well, good for y'all. Yeah. And that's all we had. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you. So I insisted, you know, right from the get go, seeing the shortcomings of position and in that industry of what needed to happen. I said, one, we need an educational track. I had heard that there was a Lake City College down in Florida mm -hmm. and that there was nothing local. There was only one certifying body. It used to be OPE and then it became OPEI uh, and then eventually EETC. Mm -hmm. Engine Equipment Training Council. Yep. And they're very outdoor power equipment oriented. Yep. But that's all we had. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and uh, got a hold of them. I said, yeah, we couldn't afford. Let me tell you, I was making $7.50 an hour as a mechanic. Mm -hmm. Raising a family of four. Yeah, unbelievable. So that gives you some kind of idea of the time period. I went to Old Point Golf and Club, which is my first course. Was there two or three years. Then I shifted over for $2 an hour more over to Belvedere Plantation. They had just been bought by a couple of new owners and they immediately commenced to putting in an affluent water system. They had dump trucks and bulldozers and threw all sorts of money into this place. So I went through that construction and that rebuild. And I was working at that time for my second superintendent, who was Alan Jarvis. Last I talked to Alan, I think he was a granddaddy down in Myrtle Beach. Okay. Yeah, I think he's, he's probably still there. But he had an assistant working for him named Alan Smith. They call him AJ. And then they decided they were going to build another golf course. Uh, Randy Blanton out of Wilmington uh, had sold his family's, his father's family's heat and air conditioning business. And he decided he wanted to be a golf course owner. And he's going to build mm -hmm. it off. So he broke ground, going to be a link style course. AJ went over there to become his superintendent and took me with him. Okay. So there have now got to grow in. Mm -hmm. So it's first in, last out for years. It, you know, at least two years before we even thought about opening. And by the third year, I think we're getting ready to open. Every EM ought to do that once. Fair warning, do it when you're young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yep. I could I could never do it at my age at this point. Uh, you need to do it in your 30s. So I did the I grow in. And right before we, Mark Clark approached me and said, look, he said, we're expanding our mobile fleet. At that time, Smith Turf and Irrigation had Walt Sizemore and Mark Clark. Walt was out of Charlotte. Mark was out of Charleston. And they were wanting to bring on a third guy. Mm-hmm. He said, here, call Bob Bell, tell him who you are, tell him I recommended you, blah, 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 blah. Well, I ended up getting in touch with Bruce Barton. Bruce Barton was the new head of the service division. And so I had to meet with him first. And he evidently walked through the garage and asked Walt and some of the other senior guys said, you know, you ever heard of this Burke Anders fella? And Walt's like, I never heard of him. And I think Mark spoke up and said, well, he's got a full fleet of Toro. I said, so if you haven't heard of him, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, good point. He's not calling you at all. So right. I, I can tell you, he's got a nice full set of Toros. So he's doing okay. So I'm up there on a Saturday. Again, I love interviewing on Saturdays. I show up. I met with Bob Bell, met with Bruce Barton and owner Wayne Smith. 
popped in, said hello, got to meet me a little bit. He didn't just happen to be there. He came in on a Saturday to meet a prospective new employee. That's what kind of company they are. Mm -hmm. They're a fourth generation family run. And uh, absolutely the highlight of my career, spending the time with them. They really do treat you like family. And I was concerned. I only had about eight or nine years experience turf equipment. And I looked at Bruce and I said, Bruce, he said, what if I can't do this job? You know, what if I fail? He said, we're not going to let you fail. Mm-hmm. He said, we'll put the horsepower behind you. And right out of the box, he said, we're going to send you every educational thing we possibly can. Because it's important. You think about this. I'm a mobile guy and I'm the guy that's got to have the answer. By the time they call me, either one, it's under warranty and they don't want to be bothered with it. It's my obligation to go in there and make them happy. Okay. Half of my job at that point were customer pay, where you got an EM that's been working on something and it may not be a Toro. Mm -hmm. It might be a Jacobson Greens King, but he's been working on something for a week and can't figure it out. So they call a warranty guy in there and I don't want, I don't care what I'm working on. I'll fix anything. So Mm -hmm. most of the time you're the hero. But you got to realize I didn't have any idea of the scope and breadth of that career field nationwide, much less worldwide. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought everybody out there was like me. And I'm rolling in on technicians that have been doing what I've been doing for eight to 10 years for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And I think when I started, I had nothing. What did these guys have? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I I act like the old man and I I started with nothing, but those guys really started with Mm them. I've met a few of them and they're talking about using the rim of a 55 gallon drum as a leveling thing. I mean, Mm, you do what you do what you got to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So Bruce, my, my boss at Smithhurst said, you have to be able to hold your own with technicians with two and three times your experience. I got to make sure that you know more than naked. Mm-hmm. And so he immediately put us on the fast track through uh, factory education and continuing education. And he had it in a time which encompassed both the irrigation side and the turf equipment side called, called STI University. And okay. that was yeah. where the, the big wigs at the distributorship would put on customer appreciation events. They would bring in end users, which is what I call all of us, mm-hmm. uh, the guys that end up with the equipment and end up with the irrigation installs. They bring them in, maybe take them to a NASCAR race, do some golf, show, I showcase some of the irrigation stuff, run through some training on diagnosing your irrigation systems and with the equipment side. So we started going to that kind of stuff. After two or three years, we had blossomed up to about seven guys, seven mobile guys. Okay. And, uh, then one day Bruce comes to me and says, uh, I'd like for you to teach an electrical class for, you know, at Charlotte for the end user. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay, I can do that. So I stopped by what is then a Barnes and Noble. Again, this is practically pre-internet. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I stopped by Barnes and Noble and I get a basic electrical book. It's basically an electrician's book for an apprentice, someone who wants to be an electrician. Mm-hmm. And it, I got through about the first 16, 20 pages and I was already beyond anything we ever experienced. So all I needed was the fundamentals. Molecular theory, Ohm's law, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I took that and I started teaching electrical class. Then they had the wise decision of sending us to 
factory training, primarily just the mobile guys. He would send the best that they, the best that the distributors have is the mobile team because they're almost purely 100% diagnostic. Most, if you want a crack technician, you don't need to find an old fart that's been sitting in a cave at one shop with his equipment and his tools on the wall. If you want a guy that has a, a wide breadth of knowledge and experience, you got to get a hold of a road guy. Even if he's only road on the road for one year or three years, mm-hmm. that ramps him up to about 10 years experience almost instantly because you're seeing so much, such a variety of things. Uh, that you get really, really good at going to the problem and going to a process. And I've always told people that it doesn't matter what you're working on, whether it's a vacuum cleaner or a space shuttle. Mm-hmm. The process is the same. And it get me in trouble. You know, I, I feel like the guy in the sling blade. You know, you walk up there, I ain't got no gas. Mm-hmm. Well, I go in there and the guy's having trouble with the unit. And I said, did you check the gas? Did you check the oil? Did you check the belt tent? You know, and yes, yeah, I did this, that, and the other. And I check it behind them. I said, look, I, no offense, but if I don't do it and I don't validate it, I can't go to step two and to step three and to step four. Because mm. my first two steps are garbage. I can't validate that. So it gets you in hot water once in a while. Mm-hmm. But you have to stick to your guns. You have to nut it. A lot of times I'll get a phone call. I'm going down the road. Five hours of my day is windshield time. And so I'm fixing machines going down the road. Oh, yeah. Yep. And and a guy will get on the phone and he'll say, yeah, this is Steve. Can you be a little more specific? Right, right. I've got like 15 Steves in my phone, right? Uh-huh. So I figure out who they are. And they're, well, I've done this, this. I've been trying this. All right, let's slow down. What are we working on? And they tell me the unit. Well, I've done this, this. All right. What was the original problem? And I backed them up and I said, look, did you work on it prior to the issue that you're having right now? What did you do to it? So I have to get in my mind what machine they're working on, what they did to it before they started having a problem, and then what the problem probably was to begin with without thinking about and without hearing what all they've done to it. Then I can get to the questions. Did you Mm -hmm. check this? Did you check this? Yeah, I've got 12 volt. What did you, yeah, charge your battery. Excuse me. I got 12 volts. Well, what'd you test it with? A test light. Uh So, okay. Put a multimeter on it. All right. I got 12 volts. All right. Charge your battery. But I've got 12 volts. I say it's about 75%. Charge your battery. Uh (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yep. At the factory, they, they teach us to go where the work's being done. In other words, if I'm having a cut issue with a right front rotary on a big trim unit, they tell you to go to the deck motor and look for the right flow. Are you mm-hmm. getting what you're supposed to be getting there? If you are, bad motor. Mm-hmm. If you're not, work up strength. Yeah. And there's there's a process to that. And the reason you do that is, is boastful, but the main reason is... Components at the end of the line are less expensive than the components at the front of the line. That's true. Yep. No, that's you know, great. so you're working that's your way nice. through a motor, through lines, through valves, solenoid valves, nano blocks, and then eventually to the pump. And the pump, all it's doing is producing flood. Mm-hmm. 
Guy called me and said, I want you to come pressure test my greens bar. No. Do I need to flow test your greens bar? Or are you having a specific problem? Well, I just want to make sure it's 100%. Well, it wasn't 100% when it was new. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was doing about 98% efficient at best uh-huh. because it's using some of that flow for cooling. It's using some of that flow for lubrication. Not all the fluid that goes out of a pump or even goes into a pump is doing output at all. It's being right. used for other functions. Yeah. So it's a matter of the lesser, the worst component. Maybe you try and identify and straighten that out. With electrical, they tell you to do the same thing. Go where the problem is in and work backwards. I never do. I do the opposite. I start at the battery because a very high percentage of them are connection and battery voltage issues. Mm-hmm. So I always start with a good power source. And I work the opposite direction with the electrical, contrary to their their teaching. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So Smith Turf turns around and says, well, I want all of our road guys to pass the four basic EETC tests mm-hmm. before we're going to send you to factory training. Now, the factories take on this. They're willing to go to the expense and time to train distributor technicians. They will let an EM go as part of a package. They'll take you up to Toro, and it's a meet and greet. They show you their paint facility. They, you know, they show you how they make the reels, that kind of stuff. It's not near what the distributor packs go through. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to, their idea is they'll teach distributor technicians, and they leave it to the distributor technicians to pass that knowledge out to the field. They're, they can't possibly train end-user equipment again. No. Can't. No. Uh, so you had to get all four. You had to pass all four of the basic mm-hmm. electric, hydraulic, real technology, and I forget what the fourth one was. Engine. Anyway, there's like seven or eight disciplines. The problem with that is I'm a little OCD about being a perfectionist. And I said, well, if you're going to make me take four of them, I'm taking all of them. So I went through all of them, got all seven, and got a master of EETC certification. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to factory school. That is an education. The value in that is they don't have to teach you how to read electrical schematic. They don't have to teach you how to read hydraulic schematic. Right, right, right. Yep. They can immediately jump into very high-level training. If we have time, I'll go into some of the sprayer training that I went. It's, oh, yeah. No, I would love to hear that for sure. That was, that was an adventure. At any rate, all of our mobile guys had to pass those to get to the factory school. Mm-hmm. And any shop guys, shop foremen and head technicians, they had to pass them to get into the factory school. So if they wanted to advance, that's what they had to do. And he made it where even the regular technicians, the new technicians had to at least attempt them. Because I, don't, I shouldn't have to tell you this. I've probably got a three quarter inch thick file of certification. Mm-hmm. That's not valuable to me at all. Right, right. It was the learning process, studying for those tests where you get the value. Yes, exactly right. I learned how much I did not know about two-stroke. Oh, yeah, Just yeah. studying for the two-stroke test. Mm-hmm. I had no idea there were so many different configurations of a two-stroke. I said, this is ought to be baby food. This would be a piece of cake. And oddly enough, I considered electrical my weak point. And so I studied really hard for it. And I did the, got the best score on the electrical of all the mm-hmm. other tests that I took because I put the effort into it. When you were talking about teaching electrical, and I think that that teaches you more about 
any subject because you got to teach it. So you're going to know, know all the ins and outs. It's like learning piano as an instrument. It helps you with any instrument once you know the piano. Well, electrical's kind of that way. Mm-hmm. And I remember pre-cop in a class one time on the early T-Tach sessions, I was doing an electrical class. And you got to realize that, well, I, I'm going to tell you this first. When I started looking for material to present, graphics and PowerPoint mm-hmm. slides or whatever I could get at the time, you know where I found that material on molecular theory, neutrons, protons, electrons, that kind of stuff? No idea. My middle son was a teacher, and he turned me on to a teacher's resource website. Oh, okay. Yeah. I found it in fifth grade curriculum. Uh-huh. Yep. That's how long it had been since these 40-year-old technicians had seen electrons, neutrons, and protons. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. So I immediately start off a class like that, and I'm explaining to them that, you know, the tiniest things that we possibly can't see, you know, electrons, neutrons, protons, going through the periodic table to the biggest things that we can't possibly imagine so far away, celestial bodies, moons, planets, and solar systems. So they're all governed by the same physics. And I see Precop in the back of the class going, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. He's like, wow. Yep. So I love teaching that. When I moved to Orangeburg, I got invited to every church in the area. Mm-hmm. They're just the nicest people out here in the middle of the country. Have you ever been invited to a church and the pastor stand up and say, well, I want you to stand up and give the guy next to you a hug, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Always made me feel kind of uncomfortable. I tell people, if you fall asleep in my class, that's what's going to happen. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't lost anybody yet. I bet. So I bet. I, I try and keep people engaged in all that. And I've been in front of some pretty big groups. I did a landscape supply show one year with Randy Gilchrist, another master tech, formerly of Virginia Tur. And we were supposed to go to Roanoke and put on a sprayer calibration class. And I said, All right, Randy, I'll write the program, give the PowerPoint, and uh, you present it. He said, Okay. So we get up there. And he takes one look at this crowd. We go into this convention hall and there's 210 landscape supply horticulturists and all this other people. And then he freezes like a rock. Wow. He's like, I can't do this. I said, give me that mic. Yeah. So he gives, <laughs> he gives me a wireless mic and I'm like a motivational speaker just bouncing around. <laughs> I had a grand old time with it. Really did. That's I have awesome. no problem speaking in front of people. I'm doing something still to this day. I've been out of the distributorship world since 2015. But to this day, I get calls weekly about sprayer issues because that seemed to be my strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, then again, something I thought I was weak in, I studied hard for. So that's how I just gravitated to sprayer. But I'm doing a uh, sports turf managers group, Firefly Stadium in December. And I said, how long do I have? He said, 45 minutes. I said, I can't introduce myself in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I would believe that because just for the listeners, I asked you one question and we've been going 35. Right. See, you, yeah. right. So I, you're I, not going totally to get to talk, Trent. You're not going to get totally to talk. Get it. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm having a blast here. All the mobile guys had nicknames and, uh, Walt was the Tasmanian devil because he would just come in and lick it, lick it, lick it and be done and be gone. Mm-hmm. Got another guy, James Walker. Uh, we call him 007. He is a, another gentle bend of a guy, just very, you would mm-hmm. think he's a California hippie 
if you just walked up on him. He's very soft-spoken, long hair and a beard, very agreeable, nice guy. He kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of Shaggy, you know? Okay, yeah. But he, uh, he'll come, go to the unit, fix it, leave the card on the unit, get back in his van and leave. And then the customer's calling that afternoon, like, is James coming today or not? And they're like, hang on a minute. And they call him. Uh, he's already been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in and out, quiet yeah. as the devil. Well, my nickname was the professor. Okay. Because I became, I became the teacher. Yeah. Uh, in 07, they promoted me to a training position and gave me the helm of the turf division side of Smith Turf or SDI University. Wow, that's awesome. So I handled the training for all of our 40 technicians, distributor technicians. And we, at that time, we had 13 mobile vans total. Wow. Mm -hmm. That was right at the peak of our mobile fleet. And part of that included a ride around with the other mobile guys. Mm -hmm. I'm not teaching them how to turn wrenches. I'm teaching them how to be a mobile guy. Yeah. Yeah. How to, how to take notes, how to do paperwork, how to meet and greet, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed that almost as much as I love teaching. I would teach full time if there was money in it. Right, right. It's just, I just can't find a way to make a living at it. Mm-hmm. No, not much money in it. Well, no. tell us, do you, do you relief grind? You, hey, hey, you yeah, you're getting in? to your questions now. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. Yep. I'm going to sidetrack you and, uh, All right. do I relief here. grind? Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Okay. Why'd you stop? Because they started milling relief into the construction of the blade. Okay. Now, this is another one of those conversations I've heard you have with other technicians and uh, that I wanted to chime in in the middle of your conversation, and it wasn't live. It was pretty frustrating. Back in the day, you had to everybody relief ground because that's all we did was single blade relief. Right, right. Talked about that. And a few guys came out with spin grinders because it had to be more accurate. When you start powering them at 2,000 and 3,000 RPMs, mm-hmm. you have to yep. be very accurate. You can't have a high blade here and there. So they started spin grinding, and you're still making blades out of a thick quarter-inch stock. Mm-hmm. It wasn't milled down at all. So when you got it from the factory, when the factory manufactured it, they would mill a relief in it, not mill it. They would grind a relief in it, then paint it, send you the reel. Mm-hmm. Once that relief wore off, you had to reestablish that relief because it was way too thick. Okay. Yep. Then somewhere about mid 2000s, they started milling their stock with a thin down edge mm-hmm. about a quarter inch deep during the construction. So right. that told me there that the manufacturer was perfectly fine with that amount of landing area. Mm-hmm. It's already milled down. And then you start getting 13, 14, 15 blade reels. You can't get fingers in there and relief grind that. There's no reason in the world to relief. So I stopped reliefing greens reels first. Mm-hmm. And then I got on some of the bigger reels. Even the bigger reels had milled blades in them. And the guys at the factory, listen, if you want, I'm by far way down the list of experienced equipment manager. What I do know. It's what the manufacturers suggest. I know what Foley's stance is on it. I know what Toro's stance is on it. The only thing about that is you have to consider the sore. So why would Toro tell me one thing and Foley tell me something slightly different? So you look at what they have invested in it. Toro is after horsepower reduction. 
so that they can have less friction, put a unit out in there that costs a little bit less because it's got a little bit smaller motor in it because it's a little less horsepower requirement to turn the reel. That's why they want a small landing head. Foley wants you to grind all the time. They want you to use their grinders. They want you to do their relief grind. They set you up. Uh, the best example I can tell you, I'm, this is going way off of your subject. You're asking about relief grinding. That's okay. Let's very quickly go to why you want to consider the source. The best example of that is an electric utility vehicle manufacturer like Club Car or Toro will tell you when you use that vehicle for 20, 30 minutes, first thing in the morning to do your little rounds, you come back for your cup of coffee, plug that puppy back in. That drives the Trojan battery guy nuts. Because from the manufacturer's standpoint, they want you to have the best performance and the greatest experience of that vehicle possible. They don't care about the proper maintenance of the batteries in that vehicle. They care about you enjoying that vehicle. Mm -hmm. The Trojan guy says, oh, no, do not maintenance charge a deep cycle battery. Run it until it starts to limp. Then plug it in and forget about it till tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So you've got two different recommendations for one piece of equipment. Coming from a different angle. Yeah, yeah. It was the same thing with tire pressure. Right. You know, they, they don't do that for the tire's sake. They do it for the ride or the mow or whatever it might be. That's right. So, no, I don't relief grind anymore. Bed knife angles was another one that I, I wanted to chime in on. All right. Going to the next question. I don't relief grind anymore because there's no difference in quality of cut. I'm as durable as the best ones out there. I heard one guy. Uh, on your group, talking about burner grinders, giving you a minimal relief. Yeah. It's impact grinding. Only relief difference you get, I think about the amount of wear on a stone going from the left side of the stone to the right side of the stone. Yeah, is it hitting a little lighter on the end of it? Probably because you've worn that stone very slight. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. All right. Now, you have a split second. From that blade hitting that stone. And the theory is that you hit it so hard in the beginning, you take a little more off than the trailing it. Mm -hmm. How much relief can that possibly be? Well, I don't, I mean, I've actually seen it before. You know, right. after you go out and mow and you yep. can see, you know, a visi visible difference where it's but, not touching the back of the blade. Right. Where it's not touching the back of the blade, but it's got to be less than a thousandth maybe yeah. two thousand yeah. that's Tops. that's going to wear away in one green but right you know yeah, exactly it's, it's gone it's gone so why even why even just just say no i don't really you don't need to really if you back laughing is a process that you ascribe to mm -hmm. yeah it gives the back laughing compound a place to hang on and refeed back into your reel I, I, I can tell you another horror story. I had a guy that had three fairway units. He had no grinders. He backlapped his units to death. And when the end of the three-year lease came up, he had to replace all 15 reels hmm. just from backlapping. Wow. Because he would backlap for an hour and a half or so a day. If I can't knock it out in 60 seconds, I need to put it on the grinder. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. And, and one of your other guys did say that uh, a lot of people don't understand the process of backlapping. And there is so much of our industry, there's not a right way and a wrong way. It's very subjective. Mm -hmm. And right, I'm, not yeah, and yeah, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm not saying that I know. 
I know the best way to do something. Uh, I know the way the manufacturer recommends you do. That's not necessarily the best way. And you might have a bang up idea. Mm-hmm. And that's why I became what I thought was a very successful teacher because I was being around a hundreds or so technicians every year. I would scoop up those tips and tricks and get these ideas from y'all. Mm-hmm. And then when I'd show up at the TTAC seminar, just regurgitate that. Mm-hmm. I was just a vessel, basically. So my education came from y'all, at probably more so than the manufacturers and the suppliers, all that kind of stuff. I when, learned from y'all, to be honest with you. When you can't argue with a person's method, if it works for them and their facility. Right, right. Like, you know, do, do, do you whatever know. you want to do. Well, well tell, my, tell my us theory, what your favorite tool is. This has been work, work to death. It's got to be not just my phone, but the camera on my phone. Okay. Well, it, it enables me to look at a list of supplies on the whiteboard. I'm getting ready to go shopping. Click. Mm-hmm. I, I can't read a model and serial number up under a unit. Click. Blow yep. it up. I can read it. Mm-hmm. Even more so than the light on the back of my phone, I use that camera multiple times every day. But digital photography in general just kind of changed my life because I'm an instant gratification type of guy. Mm-hmm. Nothing you know, wrong with that. I've got all. somewhere in this house, I've got a shoebox full of undeveloped film that's probably 30 years old. And it's so nice to be able to just, yeah, I think I'll save that one. No, I'm not going to save that one. Mm-hmm. And get the instant picture. There. Yep, right there. Way better than a Polaroid. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm going to let you go through your questions and quit dripping. Uh, I am bad all, about that. So I no, apologize. It's, it's you good. did slot no, six no hours for this conversation. Yes. yes this is okay. going to be uh, the one and only six hour interview we got going here. What's the strangest thing you've seen at work? Oh my gosh. Well, I can name a few. I came upon a 5,700, 300 gallon sprayer mm-hmm. floating in a pond. Okay. Yep. That, that would. Class the air strange. in the tank was holding it up, you know, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, pro control and everything submerged. They're, they're throwing a gaff hook at it, trying to pull it out. Wow. I had a technician from Tennessee send me a picture of that same type of spray, a 300 gallon, where the tank had been completely collapsed, looked like a tree had fallen on it. And it was probably 130 degrees in the sun there in Tennessee that day. And he sends the picture out to all his mobile guys and said, what causes this? And I'm like, a tree? You know, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, come to find out what happened is the superintendent had done a spray. He is on his second rinse of water. He's got his booms out and he's spraying, sitting still, cleaning the sprayer out. He goes inside, fix himself a cup of coffee. The vent on top of the tank failed on the lid. Wow. And that pump sucked that tank flat. Because yeah, it couldn't suck crazy. in any air. Yeah. yeah I've seen that. Crazy. The all time craziest thing. My first golf course, I told you we were using old 1970s trap mm-hmm. rakes, Toro version, one lung Kohler. Well, we had a guy there that was probably 30 years old, but I don't know if he had an accident or he was born that way, but he was about a 16 year old mentally. And he had a stuttering issue. I don't know if it was related or not. But the curious thing is that he had a tendency of going off in the woods and falling asleep on a golf cart. Mm-hmm. Come to find out he was a DJ at night out on top of Island. And when he was a DJ, 
never miss a beat, no stutter, no nothing. Hmm. So he's up all night being a DJ. He comes into the golf course and he did have a tendency to kind of fall asleep here and there. Mm-hmm. And we kind of laughed it off. It was just kind of cute after a while. Well, one day he's out there on 16 in the middle of a bright white trap on that one long cola trap break and some golfers are coming through. So instead of exit the trap and shut his unit off, he let it sit there and just idle in the middle of this trap. And it's probably a hundred degrees. He falls asleep on a running trap break. Four sets of golfers came through. The last set were the owners. That didn't go too good. He fell asleep on a running trap break. That was, that was probably the craziest. That is, yep, that is a crazy story. What do you do to relax or find your balance? The same thing I do for work. I spin rent. Okay. I, yep. I have 27 motors on this property between tractors, tillers, log splitters, gators, zero turns. I got motorcycle. I've got, I'm always working on something because I'm just that kind of guy. I'm sure you are too, where you're singularly focused. Yep. And when I am concentrating on something, I don't care if it's a vacuum cleaner or a medicine chest. If I'm working on something, I'm singularly focused and I'm not thinking about anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it can be therapeutic. That's what I do for relaxation. What's uh, one of your pet peeves around the shop? Several. One is straps and cords laying around, tangled up. When I get done with a ratchet strap, you know it was me that put it up because it's all wound up. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't leave extension cords lying around. I don't leave air hoses lying around. And another one that a lot of you guys have talked about is parking in the middle of my entrance bay mm-hmm. where I can't get my equipment in and out. Right. Yeah. Just, just not thinking. And I, I think the, the worst for me, I used to be, I had a temper. Believe it or not, I wasn't always the nice guy that I am now. And, uh, I threw a wrench one time that bounced back, darn near killed me. Oh, it wow. bounced off of a <laughs> bounced off of a plywood wall and it had enough spring in it to come back in the head. I got to realizing that you're best off not fussing at an operator for an accident. Because then they're not gonna come tell you something's wrong. I you gotta get their confidence and just say, Hey, you know, they don't break down in here. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. You're not the first one to run into a bridge pile on the when I see a guy monkeying on a piece of equipment, doing wheelies or mm. trying to jump logs or whatever it is, when they're, when they're monkeying with a piece of equipment, that, that burns me. That burns. Yeah. They have no idea how dangerous that is. Yeah. No, it is. And yeah, there's yeah. no, no excuse for it. Nah. I don't, I don't, I don't. And when they, when they cranked up a unit with the throttle mm. wide open. Uh, yeah. That's all right. Another one. Go out there to your motorcycle. Twist that throttle and crank that bitch. Right, right, right. Oh, no? Why wouldn't yeah. you do that? Yeah. Well, why are you doing it to my equipment? Yeah. 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 Same thing with your car. Hold the pedal right. down. Fire it up. That's a good one. I like that one. Yep. Do you have a mentor in the industry? Sounds like maybe a few. Yeah. Most of the guys we started T-TAC with, Bill Ledford, Greg Womble. I love all those guys. Yeah. Back to my original story. I say we had nothing. Uh, I was at a show. The first trade show I ever went to, actually. And they were having a round table for technicians actually at the trade show floor in a little room off to the side. And Rex Floyd was chairing it. And 
Wild Bill from Greenville Tra- Tractor was there at the time. I don't remember if Bill Lefter was there or not. I know Mark Clark was there. Walt Sizemore was supposed to be there, and he had some kind of issue where he couldn't show up. I had only been with Smith Turf for months. Mm-hmm. And so I had to come in and fill in for Walt. I told you when I started Smith Turf, I had like eight years experience. Mm-hmm. Now I'm on a panel in front of other technicians for the first time. And that was the meeting that they all took a vote and decided to form TTAC. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yep. Very, very cool. Yep. And so I'm, I was considered a founding member from, from that point on. Mm-hmm. And the way we structured it was that the most experienced guys, I tell you, are the road guys and distributor level technicians, because we're the only guys with factory training. Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, well, we need to be the guys to come up with the curriculum and the classes and the program. And there were, there were few ground rules. One is that no distributor technician was going to serve on the actual board. We wanted it to be mm-hmm. the technicians association. Right. We're going to be the advisory council. And we're going to start off as the teachers because we have the resources. We have the backing of our distributorships. Mm-hmm. So STI provided me with a PowerPoint projector. Toro provided me with slides and PowerPoint presentations. Mm-hmm. I wrote my own mm-hmm. curriculum and eventually I was writing my own book and printing them for the classroom editions type stuff. And so we were doing all the classes and seminars at TTAC as a fledgling. I think our first meeting, we had 40 some odd, maybe 47 techs. What you are doing today is so next level. Well, thank you for that. We could not have imagined the technology and the reach that you have today. Mm -hmm. True. Yep. All we wanted to do is give the guys something other than a sales pitch on a trade show floor. Right, right, right. So one, technicians or distributor techs can you serve on the board. We don't want it to turn into a trade show environment. Yes, we had a few local vendors, Sweatco and JRM and some others that have supported us from day one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we let them come out there and put up the tables in the lobby before the conference so they can showcase some of the things that they have. They don't get up there and give a presentation, but I have to tell you why not. Cause we had one of them on lubrications and, or lubricants and oil in that audience is Al sign from Swepco. He mm-hmm. is an authority. Why not tap that authority and get him out there to explain to the whole group that what is and what if yeah, yeah, lubricants yeah. and oil, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're tapping each other, and eventually we got a hold of Eric Duncanson, uh-huh. and we yeah. got a hold of Precop, and we kind of worked them into the fold and talked them into doing some classes and some presentation and tried to kind of pass the torch on to the membership that were not distributor technicians, mm-hmm. all the while trying to still provide presentation material and support to those guys so that we could kind of fade away and let the thing take off like it did. And man, have you guys grown it? Holy cow. Oh, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And I'm, I take no credit whatsoever for that. I think my last one was last year, but I was blown away. Well, I've been to every one except I missed four of the last six for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I didn't go for two years during the pandemic because I refused to wear a mask. I, the first year I missed, I was 
calling on a friend of mine who just lost his wife in a motorcycle accident. So I had to go spend some time with him. The next year I had my motorcycle accident and then COVID hit. So I missed mm -hmm. four years in a row. And then I did go back. I didn't actually go to TTAC last year, but I did go to spring made and do something for the sports turf managers group. This year I'm registered and I will be back down there. Nobody's going to even know who I am at this point. Yeah. No, awesome. So I look forward. I can to fade right into there. The, yeah. I'm just going to fade in. What technician would you like to work with for a day? My teachers. Most of the product development guys up in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, you think I can tell some stories? Those guys can tell some stories. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, most of them have heavy ag backgrounds or engineers in their own right. To, to watch those guys, Jim Nedden was one of those guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was in electrical class with Jim Nedden one time. Uh, he was putting on the class. And uh, he followed up with me in the field at Long Bay one time. And Jim Ned, and I don't know if you've met him, but yeah, 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 yeah. I know he's kind of a small guy. I mm -hmm. mean, he's, he's not six foot tall. I saw him reach down and grab a 3,100 reel with one hand and just up on the bench. I'm like, wow. Holy cow. I mean, this guy's pretty, pretty strong for such a little fellow, you know? <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. But he, he's story. an impressive individual. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of background. And I am truly just, I was kind of an arrogant guy when I first started getting on the road. Because I felt like, look, this is the material they've given me. This is the way the machine's supposed to be. Don't argue with me. Just do what we need to do. And a lot of guys were turned off by that, I'm sure. They just didn't know me. Mm -hmm. I hate that. Because now I see the struggles that those guys have gone through and the frustration and how welcome I was mm -hmm. at the time. And didn't realize it. They just wanted help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I, I always tried to nurture the EM relationship because at the, well, when I started, the equipment manager didn't have anything to say about the equipment that was being ordered, but that's soon changed about the mid two thousands. They started considering maintenance requirements and dependability and mm -hmm. cost of ownership, that kind of stuff. So the technician had more to say about it. Right. And I would never throw a mechanic under the bus. He's got to be my ally. And if they ever came, and I got put in this position an awful lot where they would have a, and I got probably my strongest point other than sprayer is identifying quality of cut issues and after cut appearance issues. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's a agronomy solution, not a machine solution. Mm -hmm. Now, there are things we can do to the reels to hide the deficient practice right. or the mm -hmm. problem that he's experiencing right now. We can, we can change roller configurations. We can add or we can change heights mm -hmm. of groomers. And until he gets his verticutty done and verification done or whatever it is he's got to do to address this, he's done. But it's never all one or all the other. Mm -hmm. And superintendents do not want to share with or they don't want to hear that. Uh, they got an issue. Right. And so they would put me in that position. I didn't have any skin in the game. I could be honest with the guy and say, look, I'm seeing some thatch over here, or I see you've got this going on. I know you've got a tournament going on, or you don't have a tournament going on. This is what I think we can do to the reels to, to mask your situation mm -hmm. or to help your situation. 
Uh, and they put me in that position an awful lot. But yep, that's it, part of it is what that, it is. Part of working on that distributor side. It's never all one or the other. It's always a combination, and it's, mm -hmm. you got to have that communication. You know, some of my superintendents are some of the best friends I've had in my life. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. No, and it's amazing how small this industry is, really, when you look at it, right. and how everybody knows everybody, and you can make some really good friendships out of the deal. I used to think that I've been so lucky that the superintendents that I've worked with were so good at what they did. Mm -hmm. I used to always brag on my superintendent, man, that guy can grow some grass. Over the years, I've come to realize all them guys can grow some grass. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're all very good at what they do. Yeah, you yeah, know, no, there's a reason they're there. Right. And, well, another guest I had on, he brought it up, and I don't know that I've ever really thought about it. But if you look at our job, it can be pretty simple. Not that it's easy or don't take me the wrong way there. But we right. can look at something and say, okay, that pulley's broke. I need to replace it. You know, I mean, we can come up with a solution pretty quick. Where a superintendent looks at the the grass and says hmm i think it may be this i'm going to spray this and then i'm going to wait 14 days and see if it's better and hope mother nature right. reveals herself to me right yeah and i thought that was, that was a good point he had we have a distinct advantage over mm -hmm. their career field yeah for uh, sure. because a machine doesn't fix itself no. and it will always continue to do the same thing it's been doing until we make a change mm -hmm. i don't have mother nature to deal with Right. Yeah, we, we have some distinct advantages over that particular career field. We all have New Year's resolutions. And if yours is to run a more efficient shop in 2023 or stay on top of preventive maintenance, you have to check out ASB Task Tracker. Whether it's keeping track of labor, monitoring equipment, or providing insight when assets need to be replaced, Task Tracker is a full service application where superintendents, technicians, and crew can communicate throughout the day, all while providing real-time information on where money is being spent. Stop by booth 555 at the GCSA show to check it out, or visit asbtasktracker.com to schedule a demo. Let's get back to the episode. Get ready for tips and tricks. What kind of tips and tricks you want to share with us? Anything Use specific? what? Well, yeah, two things. One is with process and the other is just a little trick I learned. With process, when you're looking at something that's causing a problem, let's say I've got one reel maybe isn't spooling up to full speed like it's supposed to occasionally. When I go to look at a problem, you have to duplicate that symptom. I don't know how many times you have, but I can not count the number of times that I had fixed something inadvertently and not know what I did to fix it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. And not been able to confirm if it's really fixed or not. Yep, and that's so, one of the worst feelings, I think. Right. We have so you got to duplicate the symptom. In other words, if a guy tells me that a unit's running hot, the first thing I'm going to do is go out there and heat it up. Mm -hmm. If I can't duplicate it, I'll never know if it's fixed. So I make it do it. Make its problem show itself repeatedly. If you can't do that, don't even try and fix it. Right. If you can't do that, it's not a problem. Hey, mm -hmm. Think about it. Yeah. If I can't make it get hot, it ain't getting hot. You know? And sometimes in that discovery process, you may find it's got a policy temperature set. Mm -hmm. 
it may register hot. You put your gun on it and it said it's 190 degrees. It's not hot. Right. So mm-hmm. that's process. Duplicate yep. the symptom before you even start to work on it. Another thing is don't be in a hurry. Burns be deliberate. Every time. That's where you'll get hurt. Yeah. Be deliberate. When I get done with assembling an engine or even just changing a starter, any little process that I get done with, because I was a mobile guy, I have a tendency to collect all my tools, wipe them down, put them up, put everything back in the van before I even go back and turn the key and test it. I'm that confident in what I just did. Mm -hmm. You need to be that confident. Take your time. You won't skip a step. If you're worried about speed, then do it 40 times. If you do it right 40 times, you'll get fast. Oh, yeah. Yep. But don't ever do it wrong to be fast. So if you do it right, it takes a guy will tell me, oh, I can do five fairway units in four hours. Great. Proud of you. Right. Did you grease every fitting? Did you check the real end play? There's no way in the world that you can do it as thoroughly as somebody who took their time. If you're focused on Mm -hmm. speed. Take your time. And if you do it right, with the right steps and the right process, every time, after the time that fourth and fifth one gets to you, you'll be quick. Right, right. And you'll be safe. Mm -hmm. The other trick, I ran into this problem-solving thing when I was snapping tines off a Weedman. I was working for the University of South Carolina, and they have a Weedman, and he runs these 12 to 14-inch needle tines. Mm -hmm. They have a tendency to snap off in that head it's a blind hole because they just go up in the hole and you pinch bolt locks it into a dimple Mm -hmm. so you snap it off now you got a piece of hardened steel in there that you can't drill out yeah so how do you get it out use what you know welder you know how heat affects metals you know how hydraulics works you know how electrical works so i had this idea i took the locking bolt out and I filled the hole with grease. And then I screwed the bolt back in. Mm-hmm. Then I unscrewed it. I filled it with grease again. And then I took a 318 pack and go, and I pushed it in really quick. And it hydraulically just pushed. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Push that chip right out. You just use hydraulics. Mm-hmm. I learned that back in the 70s, getting pilot bushings out of the back of flywheels and engines. Yep. Before they had bearings, they had bushing. Mm-hmm. And so you had to change that pilot bushing. Anytime you change the transmission or clutch. And that's the only way you can get a bushing out of the back of a crank is to fill the hole with grease, hit it with a dowel and it popped right out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that actually, was my solution for that. That was a good idea. I like it. Yeah. I'd seen the pilot bushing. Of course, I learned from an old, old guy and yep. uh, he'd showed me that trick. I first started turning wrenches at a Phillips 66 station in high school uh, at a gas station in Rock Hill. And this old Vietnam vet fellow, he probably was Korean War vet fellow, smoked these little short stubby camels and taught me how to change water pumps and put new brushes in alternators. Mm, yep. No one to worry about that anymore, do you? Yeah, I'm, I'm old school. Yep. Nothing wrong with that at all. Well, what else do you want to talk about? I think we covered oh, a God, good bit. Started. Well, one more story. The sprayer class that I went to at Toro, it was their first sprayer class. And the idea was to teach us how to go back and teach equipment managers how to talk the same language as spray tech. 
Because mm-hmm. a spray tech can come in or a superintendent can come in and say, man, my rate's off or my pressure's not where it needs to be. We need to learn how to translate that language into something we can do for them. We also need to know that if we have a line blow and we put a little union in there that necks it down and put it back together, that now we've just changed the restriction in that line and we're going to change the output downstream. Mm-hmm. So we need to know that if we rebuild something or we do a repair, we need to know how to put that sprayer back together to his specifications the way we found it. Right. So they took us to a sprayer school, 16 of us. I had technicians from Australia, Canada, all over the world in here. There were 16 of us. And the first day was all technical shop mathematics, geometry, ratios, fractions, that kind of crap. Yeah. We had to learn how to pace off square footage, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next day was all chemistry and PPE and mixing. Mm-hmm. So we, they, they brought us a tray of half a dozen household chemicals and we were in groups of four and they said, you're all going to mix the same amount of each of these things, but in a different order. And so we mixed them all up and we got four different results just because we mixed them in a different order. Okay. Once I don't know a lot about chemistry, but I can tell you this, when you take two things and bond them together, they become something entirely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's not going to react like either of them a standalone would react. So, mm-hmm. so that was that lesson. So then the final day, they take us out in the field and they got four different sprayers out there. One was a workman with a, a spray tank on the back of it. One was a full blown 5700. One was a 1250. I think they had a 1750. But anyway, they broke them and we had teams of four out there. We had to fix the sprayer, figure out what was wrong with it. They put toothpicks and nozzles. They just did anything in the world. So we had to fix the sprayer, validate it, calibrate it as a team. Mm-hmm. Then we had to measure out. They took their new brand new line painter and they did a bunch of strange shapes out in this park. We had to go out there and figure out what square footage was. Ah, okay. Yeah. Here comes the geometry, right? Mm-hmm. So we figured out what the square footage was. Then we had to go and do an application. So we had to go to a table. We had to verify what the capability of the sprayer was. If that sprayer was only capable of a maximum of 50 gallons per minute or 50 gallons an acre, mm-hmm. we had to figure out how much active ingredient we needed for the application for our square footage how much carrier we needed to add to it so that our total volume equaled a perfect spray in one pass. And we had to have 10 gallons left over. And the person that had closest to 10 gallons left over won the, the, the prize. Mm-hmm. Technician had to do this. I don't know of another equipment manager that's been through that. No. Um, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. My first superintendent kept the keys to his sprayer on his belt loop. Nobody mm-hmm. touched this sprayer. Right. And even right now, I've got a 1750 sprayer completely torn apart. The pump, internal bearings, rods, everything's out of it. And I'm waiting on parts to put it back together. My superintendent's on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. He does not like having his sprayer down for any amount of time. Right. And you're going into fall and probably not needing right. to spray a whole lot. Yeah. So we did this, uh, 16 of us. Since it was a new program, they did not have a test for us to take. So they said, we'll send you the test electronically and you'll have to get your boss or somebody to proctor the test for you and you do it on a laptop. So I met my boss at a hotel in Wilmington. He drove down, 
We booted up his laptop. He downloaded the test. And I took this test three months after I left this class in Minneapolis. (laughs) Everybody paid. Wow. Okay. Including one of the instructors. Huh. So they had to rewrite the test. That's the only test that I have ever failed in recent memory. Hmm. I was, I was destroyed. I'm like, I can't believe this. This did not happen. And in front of my box. Mm-hmm. So it was the. So come to, come to find out, all 16 of them, or I don't know that 16 of them actually took the test. However many there were, I know there were at least eight or nine of them actually took the test and failed. Mm-hmm. So did one of the instructors. So they had to rewrite the test. So three months later, they finally come back. So it's six months after that course, finally took the test online and passed it. But that was still not the last test. I think the last class, I don't know what the last class I went to was, but it was the last one I had to have to get the master's certification. And it, Toro had just started that pilot program with a sprayer class. And I had been there once or twice a year for the next three or four years. And I was on my last class. And so was Dave LeBrec up in Maine and Randy Gilchrist in Virginia. So when we finished the test, we all hit the button pretty much at the same time. So we all got certificate number one of being the first tour of Master Technician. Oh, wow. That's so cool. That was really awesome. Congratulations. That is something else. That and about 350 you'll get me a cup of coffee. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. No, like no, I say, no, I it's not the certification that means yeah. anything to me. It, it's the learning process to get that certification. That yes. really is, you know, and that brings me full circle back around to TTAC. Uh, if you're fairly new to it, uh, welcome aboard. Well, thank you. I am so proud of what they've grown it into. And that doesn't mean that I had anything to do with it because it's possible to be proud of something that you really didn't have much to do with. Like I'm proud of my country. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that it's my accomplishment of mine. Mm-hmm. That's like being proud of my children's accomplishment. I didn't have anything to do with that. I'm proud for them, so to speak. Right, right. Yep. And, and that's kind of the way I feel about TTAC, that those of us that started it, I'm sure we hope that it would grow into something worthwhile. We had no clue that it would be what it has become. And Y'all are just so ne- stronger. You are just so next level, especially with this podcast routine. You have the potential to do things that we could not even dream, to be honest with you. Well, we, we're yeah. going to need more ideas. We got to get more education oh. out there. Man, the I, I wish, I wish, yeah, I wish there were, and I, I know a few guys that are former master techs with me that are doing training full time. Mark Luffy is one of them. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've known Mark for many, many years and he is, he is pretty much full time training now and he's found a way to make a decent living at it. Mm. So I know it can be done. I just don't know if I got that much energy in me for that. Yeah. I think I'll just keep being a guest speaker here and there and yeah. contribute where I can contribute. I think I've still got something to give. I'm going to have to get um, Mark on too. He's a, he's an excellent one. Yeah. Smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Really smart. smart. I, I think he's, he's one of those in my list of guys I'd like to spend a day with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's, 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 he's as much into sprayers as I am. <laughs> That's saying something. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, when I met him up at Rhode Island, he uh, talked about sprayers a little bit, but he also talked about the Procore 648. 
and he could tell you every single thing that had happened to a 648 since its birth. Right, o- and, and I'm almost the opposite with the 648 because I consider that, you know, once in a while a manufacturer will hit a home run. Mm-hmm. And I judge that by what do I work on the least. Oh, and yeah. I work on 648s less than anything they've got. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I agree with that. And I'm not, you know, nothing wrong yeah. with the machine at all. But I was just surprised. Well, they just put all, all they just put all the others on the sideline. Yeah, everybody they they're like they're like the jacuzzi of hot tubs, man. They, everybody right. says, is, "Is it is it like a Procore?" You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. They're the industry standard. Yeah, that's just tremendous. Yeah, I don't. I heard. Uh, I don't know. It was a superintendent that said it to a John Deere salesman. He said, "If uh, the John Deere eight hundred, if you could." Uh, paint a 648 green he would buy it or you know i mean something like that basically saying don't bring anything out here unless it's a 648 to airify my greens and it's very true well they came up with a way to get a little wider swath to do it quietly and with speed uh, with very little compromise a whole fault mm-hmm. that's the trifecta right there yeah yeah no they hit on a home run for sure Were you ready for some rapid fire questions? Sure. What's your favorite movie? I like anything manly man, anything John Wayne, Robert Mitchum. Okay. Uh, some, some Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Uh, I guess more recent stuff. I'd have to say Cinderella man. Okay. I hadn't seen that. Um, I have to check it out. Cinderella man is Russell Crowe depression era. A true story about boxing. New York. Mm, okay. One of the guys that he goes up against is Max Bayer, who was a heavyweight champion of the time. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that. That's Max Bayer Jr.'s father, Max Bayer Jr. being Jethro. Oh, okay. Um, huh. Yeah. So this is a true story of him. The thing I remember about the movie most is Russell Crowe's character does some of the probably most realistic boxing scene ever filmed that weren't an actual boxing match. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Of cinematography. Mm-hmm. They were so realistic and he did such a good portrayal of the boxer. I, I just was, that's one of my favorite and I'm a big Renee Zellweger fan. Okay. Yep. Nothing wrong with that either. Well, what would be your last meal? Easy. Mashed potatoes, gravy. All right. I love it. Roast and beef. I don't want a steak. Roast beef, mashed potatoes, gravy. Love it. What are you most proud of? Back to my previous, you can be proud of something that you had little to do with. Mm-hmm. When 9-11 hit, uh, my boys were of age, and I could not imagine my sons stepping up to the plate as that generation did. I am so proud of our Iraqi war vet, mm-hmm. of how they answered the call, the way they performed, and the way they stood up like men and women i didn't think that generation had it in them and Mm -hmm. boy did they prove me wrong they were signing up left and right yes sir yeah they all did us proud Mm -hmm, for sure i think that's that's what i'm most proud of no that's awesome that's a really good one all right that's it that's it let's wrap it up man it did it did did i go over time no no (laughs) tell tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you well i've I avoided all social media forever. 
I'm still not a member of Twitter. That may change now that Elon Musk is taking over. I understand all of y'all are on Twitter now. So if For I the most stay part, in the fold, yeah. I guess I'm going to have to come on board. Yep. Uh, I am on Facebook now because I had to, because I have a, uh, a stuff grinding business and I needed to be able to manage that page and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But really the only way to get me is with my email uh, and a phone number. My email, strangely enough, is the Toro man. The Toro man at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. Nope. That's what no. they called me forever. I just, yeah, yeah, say, oh, it's the awesome. Toro man. Nope. That's good. That's a good one. Thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure, it. and I've really enjoyed it. Well, it's first. It's really great. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Burke. What an amazing guy. So knowledgeable. If you're coming to Orlando for a conference and trade show, I would like to personally invite you to a meetup we're having at Old Red's. It's there close to the convention center, and it'll be 7 o'clock Sunday night. And I would like to see you all there and make sure you get a sticker from me. No matter if you make it there, see me on the trade show floor or come to one of the classes. I'm so excited about conference and show. It's going to be a really, really fun time. And I hope to see you there. Until next time, see you bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Turf Techs podcast. I hope you learned something today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you'd like to be a guest, find us on Twitter at Real Turf Text. See you bye.